0: soul, uh, convict us where it needs you, and just ultimately point us to you, Jesus. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. So, as you can see, we need to be in the book of James, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of James. Like I said, the only reason you should have your phone out is in case you need to take notes for Minimester. If you don't, please put your phones away. Thanks. Now... Let me ask you this question. Actually, I want to read you this description about the book of James that I thought was very helpful. And so if you guys can just focus in on here. Uh, there's a, he's dead now, but he was a good old Baptist preacher back in the day with uh, Charles Spurgeon. How many of you guys ever heard the name Charles Spurgeon? Good. Actually, more of you heard about Charles Spurgeon than you did read the book of James. So we're on track. This guy's name is John Stock, and he says this about the book of James. So ladies and gentlemen, let's pay attention. It says, the style of James is essentially abrupt, rugged, and sentatious. He never stops to explain matters which are self-evident. His meaning clearly is that man who pretend to have justifying faith, but at the same time living in sin, is a cheat. Great amplification or very full definitions of terms he doesn't give us but the point at which, by the inspiring spirit, he aims and is manifested through. And so he he really is saying this. James is very blunt, and pretty much the whole point of the book of James is this. James was tired of people saying that they love Jesus and then live like Satan. That's the whole wraparound of the book of James. I could actually just end my message in our series right there, but we probably should walk through it since it's faith foundations. What does it mean to truly have saving faith? What does it look like to live as a believer? And I know we've covered this in different ways, but I think this book is just so helpful when it comes to it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? So, in that definition, in that verse from the Bible itself telling us what faith is, does, does the Bible tell us that we have a blind faith? Does the Bible tell us that it's just a bunch of myths and fairy tales? No, we have have an evidential faith. We have have a proof-filled hope. As Pastor Aaron says, you can get in a time machine, go back some 2,000 years, and you could actually run into Jesus. You could witness the crucifixion. You would see these things taking place. If you read the Gospel of John, John is constantly telling us in the days of Herod, right under the rule of Pontius Pilate, he's placing things in time and space so that we can go, hey, This secular Christian, or this secular Christian, this secular history book talks about King Herod. The same time that there was a King Herod in the Bible. Same location, same power, same everything. It helps us understand that this is truth. So when we believe these things of the Bible, we know that we're believing something that's actually backed up by science. It's backed up by history. It's backed up by math and facts and all these different things. Things. Romans 10.17 tells us this, it says, so that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the what? Word of God. So we can't separate these two things. We cannot separate faith from the word of God. The moment we just place faith in nothing or in the random things of this world, we're going to fall apart. And I think there's a lot of us in this room tonight that we're placing faith in everything but the actual Jesus. We're placing faith in the idea of Jesus, not in the truth about who Jesus is. We place our faith in verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I have plans for you to prosper. And we're like, yes, Lord, I want to prosper. When in reality, the verse is talking to a nation going into exile. Kind of a different context than most of us probably have it on our journals, Right? See, Romans 8, 28 tells us, right, for God works together all things for good according to those, to whose, whose purpose and whose will? Not yours, God's. And yet we all claim that verse, like God loves me, he's doing everything for my good. If God gave you everything you wanted, the way you wanted it, we'd all be dead. But that's why the verse actually goes on to say that it's according to his purpose, his will. So we have to be so careful when we read these things. And so getting faith right is so important. Why, why is James doing this? See, Paul wrote the book of Romans to really go after this reality of legalism, right? Where it's, you constantly have to keep doing these things to earn the love of God. But James is then written in the sense of this, what we call easy believerism. Just give your life to Jesus and keep living the way you want. If you don't change one bit, who cares? You said the sinner's prayer, you got hell insurance, it's all good. See, James actually came to say, no, there's actually a reality and a difference when we place our faith in Christ Jesus. We begin to look different because James understood the reality that he who is a new creation, the old has what? passed away. There's a death and a life being given. Things look different when we place our faith in Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to so the twelve tribes, dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whether you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing now if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be give, given to him i love this reality that he opens up with He's again, this is another one of those. It's on the back of someone's journal, daily journal, or in a planner. It might even be in your mini-mester books. And we sometimes glance over it, but it says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. See, in the original Greek, that consider, that count, it means to hold in view or to have an opinion. And why is that so important to us? Because James isn't just going, hey, every time you suffer, just be thankful. Doesn't matter the reason, doesn't matter if your sin is the one that caused it, just consider it a joy, don't matter. No, James is saying consider it a great joy, meaning hold, hold your whole life and the life that you now live in Jesus in front of you at all times. Why? Because when we understand the gospel message, we understand that there is purpose and reason for everything. When I understood the words of Jesus that said, Hey, the world's going to hate you. But don't you worry. The world hated me first. And you know what's even better than that? I overcame the world. So when we have a relationship with Jesus, he then gives us the Holy Spirit, God within us. And it says, He who is within you is greater than he who is in the what? The world. So James is taking all these thoughts and he's saying consider it a great joy whenever you experience trials because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Funny enough, my mom kept telling me this uh, as a teenager and I never got it. And I say a teenager no, I'm going to be 31 next month. I'm old. So um, back in the day when I was in high school, my mom would always tell me this golden rule. Never go with your first reaction, always go with the second. And I think for a lot of us in this room who are looking at me with some weird stares are going, man, I usually go with the first reaction. But here's the beauty that I finally learned later on after I read Scripture and after I started studying the Bible and I understood the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we can only have when we have Jesus as our Savior. The first reaction is my flesh, right? When you get cut off driving, you normally get pretty mad. You normally want to speed up, you know, tailgate them. You want to kind of give them a nice wave, right? Or clap at them, I don't know, that's weird. But uh, that second reaction sinks in and you go, oh wait, me getting mad at them is just as sinful as what they did to me. And all of a sudden you start backing up. (laughs) You stop tailgating them as much. Right? That person makes you mad, what's your first instinct? To get back at them. But if we don't react on that first response, that first trigger within us, We give time for the Holy Spirit and God's Word to start working on us and go, Hey, just remember, you're not perfect. So even though they messed up and offended you, it doesn't mean you should just go right back and do the same thing. This is what happens when we start considering things in our life. See, the the audience that James wrote the book to was a whole bunch of Messianic Jews, or Jews who finally understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And they placed their faith in Jesus. But what was happening is is the Gentiles still didn't like them because they were Jew. And the Jews didn't like them because they started thinking Jesus was actually the Messiah. So they were hated by everybody. And so James is saying, hey brothers, hold on. Hold on to the fact that you now have a relationship with the one true king. The one who lived a sinless life the one who hung on a cross for yours and my sin, your shame, your brokenness, took it to the grave and then physically rose again three days later and said, hey, even though you might not love me, I love you enough that I died and then conquered sin and death for you. Because the weight that you're carrying is too strong for you to carry on your own. The shame that you're feeling will never go away until you see the true love and light of who I am. The brokenness that you feel will never be fixed by all the earthly desires that you have. No relationship where they keep telling you, but I love you and then ignore you the next week is going to fix it. There's one true love that can actually bring healing. And that's the love of Christ when he took the cross. And all he says is that if you confess with your mouth that I am Lord and believe in your heart that I actually died for your sins, you will be saved. That's how you now have new life. That's how you can actually find true love, true purpose, true reason. Through the reality of Jesus and what he actually did for you on the cross. And then I love this because I think this is very applicable to all of us. He says, you know what? The gospel doesn't just save you. The gospel actually now gives you true wisdom. And there's a lot of us in this room tonight who uh, you just need some good old common sense, let alone wisdom. You need some common sense that says, hey, don't react with the first reaction. React with the second. Start being people who consider things, who say, man, I wish I could sit through a 30-minute message without just being a goofball the whole entire time, Right? The one that says, man, I could really care less about anything that's happening in youth group. But you know what? I can at least be respectful. It's that Holy Spirit conviction that really starts to sink in. And if we don't feel that conviction, if we don't have that wisdom to even go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't act like this, then maybe we need to understand the gospel. Before we can even consider it a great joy to be our faith tried, we need to actually have a true faith. This whole series isn't going to make sense unless we actually know what faith is. And we knew that faith is an understanding that Jesus Christ had died for us and placing our faith in his completed work, having faith that he's made us new and having faith that he's going to come and call us home one day. Faith that he's going to bring purpose to the pain, hope to the hurt, and meaning to the lost. That's what he did in the gospel. See, no matter who you are, James is stating that we can only have true joy amidst real trials when we are truly grasping that it's in faith alone through Christ alone. That is when we can have true joy. It grows us, it strengthens us, and it makes us wiser. I've made a lot of dumb decisions in my life, especially around y'all's age. This is why we always say, listen to your parents. I promise you, what they're telling you isn't to hurt you or harm you. When they tell you not to touch the stove because it's hot, they're not trying to protect you or keep you away from some mystical land. It genuinely hurts when you touch a hot stove, whether you're a kid or an adult. So learn to listen to wise counsel. And God actually promises that when we go to him, he is faithful to give us that wisdom. He's faithful to give us that knowledge, that understanding, that peace. But that only starts when we have a relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I think for us tonight, to kind of finish up chapter one, we need to to sit here for a second. If you want to read through this with me in verses 13 through 18, it says, it says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted... By God. Be very careful and understand those two different words, right? A trial and a temptation. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But, a, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, but by his own choice, he gives us birth by the word of truth so that we could be the kind of first fruits of his creation. Let no one say he is being tempted by God. God does not tempt. God does not cause us to sin. But let trials produce endurance, and endurance steadfastness. Here's the beauty of this life. Scripture says the moment we place our faith, right? We get that, right? He has given us birth by the word. We are now born again into a relationship with Jesus because of what he did on the cross. We are now sinners saved by grace. We are now a new creation. But this side of heaven, you and I, how many of us are going through hardship? How many of us have ever experienced a hard trial before in our life? We've walked through a difficult season. We've been hurt by somebody. Life isn't perfect, and if you think your life is perfect in here, then you're gonna get humbled before you can ever get true hope. But we've all been hurt. Someone's done something wrong to us. We've messed up and hurt other people. You can't deny it, whether you raise your hand or not. We've all seen the brokenness in this world. We've all been tempted to do dumb, bad, desired, self-centered things. We all have pet sins that we keep in our pocket and think we can hide from other people. We're all tempted. There's not a single person in this room that goes, whoopsies, I accidentally sinned. Like, oh, God doesn't doesn't mind that one because it was an accident. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Here's the beauty of being a believer in Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. When you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all those hardships in life, all those massive red flags that you've probably been missing about that guy who likes you, right? All these things that could potentially take us off the path that God has for us, right? we finally find purpose, God says he's faithful to take us through it. He's faithful to give us endurance. He's faithful to keep us on the path. But what does Satan do? Scripture says Satan's like a roaring lion, prowling, waiting to strike. Every time God puts us on trial to test our endurance, our faith, trials will come. Hardship is going to happen. God's going to want to press in and grow you. Satan's going to want to ground you and destroy you. And how we respond to these episodes in our life is going to determine where our faith is. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes over again. You don't have to keep hurting people over and over again. You don't have to keep reaping the consequences of sinful actions over and over again. You can start following Christ, and he can actually give you a trial that produces endurance, produces wisdom. So you start becoming a better friend, a better student, a better son or daughter, making better decisions. But none of that happens unless we know what it means to consider it a great joy. Because here's the thing. If you keep trying to go through the trials of life by yourself, more often than not, you're going to be tempted to do the sinful way. But every good and perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, there's this false teaching going around again in this, in this really just, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it's a really dumb thought. It's this thought that somehow God's just another student like you and I. God's just this changing person who every few years we get a different persona of who God is. Jesus just so happened to be one of them. Or that God's learning. As we make our choices, God's going, you know what, Matt? That was a really good choice. Surprised me. But good choice. No, actually, scriptures over and over again tell us that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change like the shifting shadows. Your trials are going to change. Your experiences are going to change. You're going to mature and grow up in life. Your situations are constantly going to be different. Your hardships are going to get harder. Your decisions are going to get greater. But God doesn't ever change, God is the same. He is the same God who led them out of Egypt. He is the same God who brought Noah through the waters. He is the same God who gave his son to die for us so that we could know true love, true healing, true peace, true purpose, true hope, a true relationship, true life, true forgiveness. He is the same God who then walked with the early church and the apostles, and he is the same God, and he is the same Jesus who is going to come back one day and bring us all home where we will never have to experience death, sin, disease, and any type of disorder ever again. That is our God. So before we go any further into the series, and as you guys go into your small groups, I want you to consider... Where is your faith? Where is your wisdom coming from? Because I think there's a lot of us in this room, if we were being honest, we are getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. We are getting tired of the weight of this world, of this brokenness, of finding just more lostness every time we try a new adventure. My prayer is that you guys understand that it is only by the gospel that we can consider it great joy when trials come. Because if you keep trying to do the trials on your own or with just the people around you, we're all going to fail. So go to the Father of lights. Go to God Almighty who sent his Son to die for you. Amen? Let's bow our heads, let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for this this night. Thank you for all these students who came back, God. I'm so excited. God, I'm so thankful for your gift of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for me, for them. Lord, if there's a single person in this room who's finally done trying to do this life on their own and, and go through all these trials by themselves and falling into temptations, God, let them turn to King Jesus. God, I think there's some of us in this room tonight who we've strayed, We've wandered. We've lost sight of our faith. God, put the cross right back in front of them and let them start over. Father, give us hope so that we can start considering this life with a great joy. Father, be with us in our small groups. Help us to just talk about faith. Talk about what it truly means to place our faith in something, especially the gospel. Father, thank you for us having this time. We love you. And we pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. And his people said, amen. Your small group of leaders are in the back, so if you guys get with them and let's get going.